Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. Oops, gravel voice. Hello there, welcome. Gravel voice. April 6th. April 6th? God. Can't go through that again. August 6th is the date. It's a Thursday. Um, Obviously, I'm not exactly awake yet. Um, So, guys, (laughs) um, hey, I came upon this. I thought you might be interested. If, you know, getting a test is not easy. Uh, You know the kind of test I'm talking about. Getting a test is not easy. Uh, in the country because, well, we've messed everything up. Um, but I, I, I just happened to see this. If you're really desperate to get a test and you um, you got a little extra cash and a quite a bit of recklessness in your system, um, just fly over to Berlin, uh, Germany. Because uh, it says here that anybody flying in to Berlin's airport gets an immediate test in a matter of minutes. They swab not only your throat, they swab your nose. They don't ask a penny or a, what's a German coin? A pfenning? I don't know. I don't know German money. And um, and you get the answer within 24 hours. So I'm just saying... Um, because Germany now requires every person coming in to have the test, and you get immediate results. So I know it's a little out of the way, but it also have the advantage of getting the hell out of here. Just saying. Although, come to think of it, wait, I forgot, they probably aren't letting Americans in. (laughs) Shoot. I knew it was too good to be true. Damn. (coughs) Sorry. I don't know where this came from. Um, I read this uh, list of, of, you know, things, physical symptoms you can have that you should pay attention to that might suggest that you have the virus. I think this was in the New York Times yesterday. It was a riot. It was a list of every possible thing that you could have, including this gravelly voice I have today, because I think it's post-nasal drip, and I believe post-nasal drip made the list. And I read the list, and rather than reacting like, oh my God, oh my God, I'll just be a wreck now every second, I just laughed. I was laughing and laughing and laughing. Who... There was not a thing on that list um, that you do not have. Every one of us has one or two. It's like, oh, oh, I think that did it. It's like back in the day, um, well, I don't know, it still could be, uh, if you would read, you know, cancer warning signs, I remember as a young person uh, coming across that. Good God. I mean, I always had at least three, seven cancer warning signs. I had three. So, um, 
I mean, it, it's literally a list of everything from an upset stomach to a headache <laughs> to a rash to uh, joint pain to uh, I, I, it, it, it's to fatigue. I mean, everything I just mentioned, I pretty much already have. What is the point of an idiotic article like that? Just saying. Um, I came upon this the other day, and I had meant to uh, share it with you, and I didn't. And so I'd like to maybe make an effort now. I don't know who this woman is. Her name is Ariana Picari or Peccari. I'd go with Picari myself. And um, she even has her own like uh, site. Like I think this came off her site, uh, Ar- Ariana Picari uh, dot com or something. Um, and and she has worked at MSNBC for uh, for a long time. And she doesn't anymore. Uh, she left uh, about 10 days ago, and she's a young woman. She doesn't have a clue what – she quit a job, and she doesn't have a job. That's the kind of thing if she was your daughter, you'd say, what? <laughs> In this time, at this time, you had a job and you chose to become unemployed? <laughs> Uh, but she did, and it, it, it's fascinating. She wrote a long reason why, but I think it is instructive, and as somebody who also found um, my later television career problematic of seeing where TV was going, um, and thank God I had the fallback position of talk radio. So I could say to television, goodbye, um, which is what I did that I chose to leave. Uh, and I have a great deal of, uh, anger at what television has done to the body politic. I'll read some of what she wrote, if you don't mind, rather than, I mean, she spent time uh, explaining this. Why should I bumble around paraphrasing? She says, I simply couldn't stay anymore. My colleagues, again, MSNBC, are very smart people with good intentions. The problem is the job itself. It forces skilled journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. You may not watch NBC, but that doesn't matter. All the commercial networks, and this is true, function the same. And no doubt 
that content, whatever they're putting out, seeps into your social media feed. And she says, it's possible that I'm to the editorial process due to my background in And I ever witnessed was predicated on how a topic or a guest would rate, rate. See, public radio, they don't have to think. They don't care about the ratings. And so she came from a place and where that was not uppermost in what do we lead with, who do we invite on. But, as she says, the longer I was at MSNBC, the more I saw that that, how it would rate, is practically baked in to the editorial process. And those decisions affect news content every single day. Likewise, it is taboo to discuss how the ratings, that need for ratings distorts content. Or it's simply taken for granted because everyone in the commercial broadcast news industry is doing the exact same thing. It is what it is, to quote Donald Trump. Behind closed doors, industry leaders will admit the damage they've done and that's being done. A successful TV veteran said to me, we are a cancer and there is no cure. She says, as it is, this cancer stokes national division, even in the middle of a civil rights crisis. The model that all of these television networks use blocks diversity of thought and content because the networks have incentive to amplify fringe voices and events at the expense of others because it pumps up the ratings. This cancer risks human lives even in the middle of a pandemic. The primary focus quickly became what Donald Trump was doing to address the crisis rather than the science itself. As new details have become available about antibodies, a vaccine, or how COVID actually spreads, producers at these networks still want to focus on the politics. Important studies, important facts get shunted aside. And then there's the election. Any discussion about the election usually focuses on who? That is correct, Donald Trump, just as it did the last presidential election. Not Joe Biden, not Hillary Clinton. You would think they might have learned. But the reality is Trump smothers out all coverage. I mean, it's incredibly important to ensure that citizens can vote by mail this year, but I watched as that topic got ignored or killed in the parlance of newsrooms time after time. Yeah, 
I mean, everything she's saying here is like so, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyone who's ever worked in television knows this. Context, factual data are often considered too cumbersome for the audience. You know, I've often told the story of how in my tenure at WTAE television, I saw, uh, I saw producers and, uh, tell reporters like me to literally dumb down our language. I think one producer instituted a, he, he had this software, which was very sexy at the time, way back then, that could go through any story you submitted and decide at what grade level it was written. And if it was written above, I think it was a fifth grade level, it got flagged. And I was always way above. I used multisyllabic words. Television having so little respect <clears throat> for the intelligence of its audience actively engaged in making that a self-fulfilling reality. They dumbed down their product to reach as many people, ratings, as they can and could. They gave the people the kind of not difficult stuff, stuff that wouldn't bother them. So no real reporting about what the city council was doing or somebody's budget that would impact their lives or, you know, housing issues, things like that. No. Fires, drug busts, for some reason around here, water main breaks, nothing that would tax the viewers, something visual, train wrecks, literal. And when train wrecks come embodied in like a presidential candidate or a president, well, they cannot turn away. Back to this woman. Yeah, occasionally the producers will choose to do a topic or story without regard for how they think it will rate, but boy, that's the exception. Due to the simple structure of the industry, the desire to charge more money for commercials as well as the ratings bonuses uh, that the top tier decision makers earn. They always relapse into their profitable programming habits. She says there, there's a better way to do this. I'm not so cynical to think that we are absolutely doomed, though we are on that path. Geez, if we can figure out how to send a man to the moon, if, 
if Alex Trebek can defy the odds with stage four pancreatic cancer, and if Harry Reid, and I didn't know this, can actually overcome pancreatic cancer, then we can fix this too. James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. I want to um she's saying so she she left she left she's going home to her where her parents live that's a sort of remarkable principled exit. Some would just say she's naive, but I think there was a bravery in what she did. And anyone in uh, the business uh, could not refute a word she said. I um, I have a story of the one time, well, and actually it was the third time, but the, the first time that CNN <clears throat> called me, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and asked some producer, at CNN, it's a long time ago, called me, it's when I was doing talk radio at WTAE, and said, uh, you know, they obviously have, a, you know, producers have lists, uh, liberal talk show hosts, uh, conservative talk show hosts, people with, they can get to like babble. And she called me and she said that they were doing some kind of a segment on something, some new abortion thing. I mean, I can't remember what it was. And she said, I, we would really like your, your input. So it was clear they already had the conservative. They needed the liberal. And I said, well, yeah, sure. And, and then I thought I better tell her how I felt about the specific topic, which I'm given my Swiss cheese memory, I don't quite remember, except it was abortion related. And I told her I was not absolutist on this particular issue. In other words, I had sort of a nuanced, <laughs> imagine that, I had a, a nuanced uh, kind of uh, sense of what would be correct. It didn't, certainly didn't place me uh, on the conservative side, but it didn't put me on the far edge of the liberal side. And she, I mean, couldn't get off the phone fast enough. So that was the first time I, and it, I mean, I'd obviously already had some sense of what TV did and as a viewer could see what they did, that that either or, black or white. I have hated those shows since the first one started uh, because the truth disappears somewhere in the middle. I've always hated those shows. 
the last TV show I ever did was one of those shows. It was at WQED here, strangely called 4801. That's their address on Fifth Avenue. And it was a Friday night show that aired right before Washington Week in Review. And it was the local kind of Washington Week in Review. But the way it was structured was just like all the other, this is public television doing what the commercial television industry did. We'll get two liberals and we'll get two conservatives and we'll throw red meat into the middle and we'll watch them rip each other apart for it. I hated that show. And finally, I've told the story a million times, but one night I after the show, I just I couldn't anymore and I quit. Now, since then, it's only gotten worse. And it's why I pretty much don't watch any of these shows, any of these networks. I'll jump in to get a sense of some maybe a top news story. You know, if you were to watch CNN, for instance, you would not know that anything is going on in the world other than Donald Trump and the pandemic. That's it. And we must be about the least informed humans in the world. And the reality is, is that, you know, we have been dumbed down and we have been divided by our commercial media. And this young woman who quit it is is right. It's a cancer and it's killing our democracy. Okay, that was something I had wanted to uh, share uh, with you. Uh, Barbara said, yeah, but wasn't there a station that was only going to do good news? Well, that's bullshit, too. There have been a few times where, yes, and I remember these experiments. Let's report on all the wonderful things that have happened. Well, nobody wants to watch that either, and that's not informative. A mix of horror and good things would be a little bit better. But every time any station has tried to do that upbeat stuff, their ratings go down. <laughs> I mean, there is a reason we are fed what we are fed, because what we are fed attracts more eyeballs, and in those eyeballs is the money these networks crave. Consumers of television have never gotten it through their heads 
that they are, their eyeballs are what is the game. Not content is, it, content is only a way to attract those eyeballs. The news is not interested in informing you. It's interested in attracting you and holding you as long as they can because the ratings go up. And that's ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. So Donald Trump, they cannot quit him. And I am here to tell you, that even if he is not our president any longer, they will never quit him. The only way you're going to get rid of having that monster on the TV every second is if you die or he dies. Tony said he didn't catch the name. It's not a name you know. It's not she must have worked behind the scenes. It's not a name you know. It's, uh, I'll give you her name, you want it. Um, Her name is Ariana Peccary, P-E-K-A-R-Y. I have a caller. Hello. Hey, Lance, Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. It's the McDonald's analogy. Like people will say, well, more people watch Fox News. Yeah, more people go to McDonald's too. But that doesn't mean the food's any good or that it's good for you <laughs> or, it's or for you. that it's not, it's not going to make you constipated or that it's not more expensive than cooking in. It's, and the eyeball thing is an excellent point. That's why I no longer look at Facebook. I, I really treat my eyes like something of value. I don't Good look at advertising. I turn them when I'm watching Hulu because I only have Hulu for free. I literally mute my TV every time because you have to do more to get my eyeballs than have a dancing toothpick. Yeah. Well, good for you, but you are, of course, in a very small minority. But it makes me happier, I think. And feeling less like a sucker. Like, don't these Republicans feel like suckers? Well, you know, you're you're going to get me talking about my big to-do about we are uh, illiterate culture, media illiterate, totally illiterate about how the media that is coming at us 24-7 works and our role in it and how we're used and exploited and misused and how, again, it has affected in such a negative way everything about our lives. Um, yeah, I, I media literacy, it's more important than... Uh, than penmanship. It's more important than uh, (laughs) the ABCs. Given the world we live in, that's what from preschool on needs to be taught. Yeah, one of the realtors who I interviewed from Selling My House, she said that, and I had a show on HGTV called Blah, Blah, Blah. And I thought, 
lady, you said the wrong thing to the wrong person. (laughs) But that was her selling thing, right? And then she went on to say, and I get all of my um, business from referrals. I was like, yeah, because advertising in your agency, in your industry doesn't work. Like, so I don't know if I'm savvy enough, but one way to be more savvy is to not engage in it. Right. Or engage in it as least as possible. Right. But most of us are sitting ducks. Right. Mm-hmm. And willing. It's not even we're sitting ducks. Well, it's right. we're willing ducks. I'll sit well, here with my cheese bits on my couch <laughs> and you just right. give me stuff. Yeah. Right? Feed me. And feed then me, when we're told you to do right. yeah. and then we tell you to do more of that. Because yeah. there's you need. It's what they want you to have because they, again, make more money with whatever the diet of crap is that they put out 24-7, day after day. Like McDonald's. They make more money putting out crap than they would if they sold a Cobb salad for $12. That's right. They sell you crap. Right. And you buy it and you think this is food. I mean, there are literally kids who think this is food. Oh, yeah. And there's something addictive about their food, and they know it. I mean, we're, you know, there's more salt in it than good for us, and there's more sugar in things, and that's what hooks us. And the, they know how to hook us. You think they don't, like, I mean, they know what they're doing. Do you remember they, when fast food began? Where was your first time, first time you saw a fast food restaurant? What did you think? I thought it was the neatest thing in the world, and it was a McDonald's, and it was <laughs> on the west side of Green Bay, and uh, I just thought it was amazing. It would be in the 50s. I don't know. Where, it was in the 50s. When did it start? What, do you know when it started? It, it depends when where you live, obviously. Oh, okay. Okay. But it would have been in the yeah. mid-50s for me. Yeah. For me, it was 1970 or something, and there are McDonald's on in Brookline, I forget the name of that road is, um, by the Beinhauer's Funeral Parlor. And my friends and I just thought it was the coolest thing yeah. ever. There's right. a McDonald's. We were so I know. irrationally excited. And our mothers made our food every day. Yeah. Three meals a day for 50 years, my mother made meals. And we just acted like that was nothing. Can I go to McDonald's? Well, and the rest is history. <laughs> but my waist size is still a 32. Oh, well, good for you. I uh, wish I could say yeah. the same. <laughs> well, enjoy your day. You too, Mike. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You know, um, another, uh, another case in point, uh, by the way, Amy, my producer, says that she has posted uh, the link to this letter from Ariana Picardi or whatever her name is um, on our Facebook page, okay, if you want to read it. You know, I um, I also wrote, wrote, wrote <laughs> I read uh, something else uh, this morning that it strikes me now is sort of uh, very much sort of a part of what uh, we've been discussing. 
misinformation and how it comes to us from trusted sources that we let into our living rooms every day. It's a a piece by a remorseful older man. Somebody who at least is capable of acknowledging the damage that he did in his work for corporate America. And he worked in the insurance industry as an executive. His name is Wendell Potter. And he flat out says right off the bat that his job was to deceive Americans about their health care, to mislead Americans to protect the profits of his company, which was Cigna. His job was PR. His job was the propaganda arm of the industry. And he says this now as he looks back at what he contributed to the horror. He says, and I credit him at least for having the, I do credit him for being able to acknowledge the damage he did. He said, my work contributed directly to fewer Americans having insurance. That has now shaped our struggle against the coronavirus. And his whole job was to protect American insurance from a single-payer system. His work was to pollute Americans' minds, to distort, do everything you can to make sure Americans were terrified of the idea of single-payer. And he says, you know, if we had ha- if we had single payer now, tens of thousands of Americans who have would probably still be alive. So in 2007, he was working as the vice president of corporate communications for Cigna Insurance. And that was the year that Michael Moore put out his documentary, Sicko, which showed the American system was like the worst of all developed nations. That we paid more and got less than people living almost anywhere else. And he explains how the insurance industry literally did anything they had to do to put 
to flood media with absolute lies about how awful the Canadian system was. So stop back and think of all the times you read articles about how people in Canada have to wait for God knows how long to get a simple procedure. That came from his work and the work of others doing that work. He delineates specifics about what they did, how they did it. They didn't care where they got information. They didn't care who had cooked it. It was the last year in the industry. I guess it personally sort of broke him. Must have had trouble sleeping at night. He was very successful. They all were in getting this misinformation to journalists and to lawmakers. And they were very successful in creating the impression that American health care was far superior to Canada's. And he says here, the campaign worked. Stories were appearing all over the place that cast the Canadian system in a negative light. And when Democrats began writing what would become the Affordable Care Act in 2009, they knew they could not give serious consideration to a single-payer system like Canada's because he and the others in the insurance industry had poisoned the well. And then he goes on to talk about how Canada has responded to the virus and how we have. He tells the truth finally about Canadian health care and ours. He says, contrary to a myth I used to peddle, that Canadian doctors are flocking to the United States. Actually, there are more doctors per thousand people in Canada than there are doctors here. And Canadians see their doctors an average of seven times a year compared with just four times a year in this country. And most importantly, no one in Canada is turned away from doctors because of a lack of funds. And Canadians can get tested and treated for coronavirus without fear of receiving a budget-busting bill. That undoubtedly is one of the reasons Canada's COVID-19 death rate is so much lower than ours. In Canada, there are no co-pays, no deductibles, co-insurance. Care is free at the point of service. And those who are laid off now in Canada aren't worrying about losing their health care. In the United States, by contrast, more than 40 million have lost their jobs, and millions of those have lost their coverage as well as their families. And then quality of care, if you're still thinking that the misinformation you were, that got 
put into your head by trusted sources on television newscasts. By numerous measures, this guy now admits, quality of care is better in Canada. Canada has far lower rates in the U.S. of hospitalizations from preventable causes like diabetes and hypertension. And even though Canada spends less than half of what we do per capita on health care, life expectancy there is four years more. He finishes with this. Of the many regrets I have about what I once did for a living, one of the biggest is slandering Canada's healthcare system. If the United States had undertaken a different kind of reform in 2009, one that didn't rely on private insurance companies that have every incentive to limit what they pay for, we would be a healthier country today. Living without insurance drastically increases your chances of dying unnecessarily. Over the past 13 years, tens of thousands of Americans have probably died prematurely because unlike our neighbors to the north, they either had no coverage or were so inadequately insured that they couldn't afford the care they needed. I live with that horror and my role in it every day. Again, his name, Wendell Potter, uh, his piece in today's Washington Post. Um, so I <laughs> don't know what we do. What do we do to wise up? Oh, thank you, Mark. One of my trolls has said, and you're right, silly of me, the Germans are on the euro, you moron. You're right. You're right. Well, what did it used to be, though? I want to say the P-F-E-N-N-I-G, Fenning. What was German money? The, oh, Deutsche Mark. Jeez, Cullen. Right. Um, uh, thank you for that, Mark. Uh, Paul says, thanks for sharing the information today. It was spot on. This morning, CNN and MSNBC talked Trump, Trump, Trump. I can't stand Fox. Oh, yeah. But today they actually had reports of water rescues and power outages in the Northeast. Well, because they want to avoid Trump, Trump, Trump at the time because it's hard to spin him often, right? I don't recommend watching Fox. I do not, do not, do not. So yesterday I noted um, the demise of Pete Hamill, and I just came across a, a, um, a interesting anecdote in the uh, in the Washington Post obit, um, if I can if I can find it here. Um, uh, 
Hamill, um, he had this weird sort of Zelig-like quality of sort of always being where stuff was happening. I mean, he, he, he was a reporter and a writer, so he, you know, he was in Vietnam and Nicaragua and Northern Ireland and stuff like that. But, you know, when those jets hit the World Trade Center, he was sitting sipping coffee a few blocks away um, and saw it all and began scribbling immediately. Uh, I can only imagine the shock he must have been in. He wrote, dust coats all the walking humans, the police, the civilians, white, black, men, women. It's like an assembly of ghosts. Dust has covered the drying puddle of blood and the lone woman's shoe and the uneaten cheese Danish. To the right, the dust cloud is still rising and falling undulating in a sinister way, billowing out and then falling in upon itself. The tower is gone. He was there standing almost next to Robert Kennedy when he was assassinated. Kennedy was a friend of his and he he, uh, helped subdue the assassin, Sirhan Sirhan. Um, so when the uh, Central Park uh, jogger case happened, um, which we now know uh, ruined the lives of uh there's a five young black teenagers, black and Latino, who were accused of raping the woman. Um, Hamill actually was part of the the media that assumed that the cops were telling the truth. So he was... He was no help to those kids. But later, when Donald Trump, hate Percy, he just keeps coming back. In 1989, Donald Trump took out full-page advertisements in New York newspapers. Can you imagine carrying this much? take out full page ads ads in the Times, the Post, the Daily News, Newsday, whatever, calling for the death penalty. New York had gotten rid of the death penalty and Trump wanted that death penalty to come back so he we could kill those kids. And Hamill was disgusted by this, and he wrote an essay about Trump in which he never stated his name, which is interesting. This is 1989. He simply calls him T, won't give him the benefit. And you think of – actually think of that 
because for Trump, that would be such an insult, right? And Hamill said this about Trump. And boy, did he have him down. 1989, snarling and heartless and fraudulently tough. Think of that right there. That's his first, that's the first part of a sentence in which he is characterizing key. Just nails him. Snotless and fraudulently tough. Insisting on the virtues of stupidity. Hate, just another luxury. And T stood naked, revealed as the spokesman for that tiny minority of Americans who lead well-defended lives. Forget poverty and its causes. Forget the collapse of the manufacturing economy. Forget the degradation and squalor of millions. Fry them. Fry them into passivity. An indication of Hamill's writing. Another cute thing it says here that he um, he said uh, growing up in a poor section of town, he um, he said he grew up with what he called the tenement commandments, <laughs> and uh, he said, and one of the Tenement Commandments was, remember where you're from. And he did. And they, somebody said in the obit um, that if the pavement of New York City could speak, it would sound like Pete Hamill. So just a little bit more on on him because, uh, and oh, one other little thing, he won a Grammy Award. (laughs) Pete Hamill won a Grammy Award in uh, 1976 for uh, writing the liner notes on Bob Dylan's album, Blood on the Tracks. I have that album here and I'm gonna make a point of checking it out. What else we got? Um, you know, again, so much gets, uh, you know, doesn't get covered. I, th- this was one particularly uh, d- disgusting uh, story that you need to know about if you don't. And uh, that is that, um, oh, by the way, do you see uh, the new acting uh, inspector general at the State Department is now gone? I think he lasted what? What did he last? Four weeks? What, what was that about? 
He was a place in the other one that they just threw out. And now he's gone. Replaced by his deputy, the deputy acting temporary who knows what, Inspector General of the State Department. And in that same realm, uh, there's a uh, brigadier general, retired, uh, named Anthony Tata, Tata, T-A-T-A, who is a bigot beyond belief. And Trump nominated this bigot to be the Number three at the Pentagon. Not quite sure what the job is called. Um, And do you know that even the Republicans in the Senate let it be known that they they couldn't stomach this one? Senator Inhofe, Oklahoma, actually canceled this guy's confirmation hearing 30 minutes before it was set to begin when, I guess, they just lost the stomach for it. Yeah. So does that stop Trump? No. Now, he's not smart enough or doesn't know the ropes enough to come up with the unbelievable crap these guys around him do. So... The White House just said, fine, who needs you, Congress? They sidestepped the Congress. Trump tells his toady defense secretary, Esper, to appoint Tata to a temporary senior position in the same office in the Pentagon. Because somebody looking at the fine print saw that if they do that and Tata stays in that office for three months, 90 days, he can then be elevated to the original job they wanted him in, in an acting capacity, which is to say, like every other person now all over our government in senior positions, acting capacity, which means they have not been approved of through normal procedures by the Senate. So he put this guy in and he is going to get, and just so you know, this guy, the reason Trump loves him is he, if you watch Fox News, you've seen him. He, uh, he's on Fox News all the time, you know, just saying outrageous things and praising Trump. He peddles uh, theories that uh, the CIA director, John Brennan, uh, wanted to get rid of Trump even through assassination. Tata also said that uh, Michelle and Barack Obama engaged in treasonous behavior. The treasonous behavior, by the way, was expressing their dismay over a Trump presidency. What he says about Muslims is beyond belief. He also referred to Obama as a terrorist leader. This now, this low is going to be
Isn't that something? So, one other little thing I've been wanting to say, so I'll say it. Um, I keep seeing stories of uh, frontline people, people like, you know, uh, working in a pizza shop or people working at, uh, you know, any kind of big retailer, Walmart, Home Depot, um, having to confront these often violent yahoos who refuse to wear masks when that is the uh, either uh, you know uh, mandated by the state or mandated by the the business and i know you have seen these things and i just want to say those people in those jobs are not being paid enough to risk their lives and that these businesses, especially the big guys, the Home Depots and Walmarts, have got to hire security to deal with those people. I'm sick of seeing – it's just amazing to see that people literally – and people have died, including security guards. We have a caller. Go ahead. We're almost out of time. Father Joseph, how are you? Hello, this is Father Joseph. How are you doing? Hey, Father Joseph. <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess I can guess how you're doing. Um, <laughs> I'm, not sh- I'm not sure how many in our nation uh, understand what's truly at stake in the upcoming election. And what I mean by that is that um, there was a long-range plan, I think, that the GOP had in mind in regard to entitlements. You give the tax cuts to the rich, and then later on in the uh, second Trump term, they would say, look, we got to do something about uh, the debt. And, and of course, the way to do that is to go after the entitlements. And so the idea was to sort of like do a boa constrictor thing uh, yeah. on, 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 on the uh, social network for our folks, uh, for our nation. And that, I think, is a long game. So for some of the GOP, it was worth it to hold their nose <laughs> and, and support the president because the long game is to try to uh, to squeeze out those entitlements that they've been after for so many years. So that's, the, that's I think, the overall you know, danger there. You know what? You know, even the verbiage we use, Americans call what we call entitlements. Mm-hmm. Other countries call the social safety net. Absolutely. Yep. yep. I mean, yep. we are made by virtue of the verbiage to think of them as something that, you know, we – confer upon people who I guess aren't uh, able to, uh, you know, produce as they should. I, every other country, I mean, has these programs in place <clears throat> and more <clears throat> than we, you know, I, and they don't think of them as entitlements. They think of them as good governance, as is what a government does for it, the people it serves. Absolutely, yeah. <sighs> it, 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 the other, the other thing that I, I notice, and it has to do with, it, and I, I have the deepest respect uh, for the media. And, and as a matter of fact, you know, I've, I've got some good friends who are journalists. Um, what I would say is that. Um, 
the other day I was watching um, uh, a neighbor uh, play with their retriever. They have a dog retriever. They throw this mm-hmm. ball, and the retriever goes and gets it. And then, you know, I mean, the dog cares about nothing else but that ball. And I, I, thought, I thought about that the other day. I said, you know, that is the way our media is reacting to Trump. They, they care nothing. He'll throw something out, and they'll run after that. <laughs> and you're all absolutely the right. right. <laughs> you're right. And, and it's, it's, yeah, difficult. That's a watch. great metaphor. That is absolutely right. And <laughs> one would think that um, the media would have uh, more smarts than a sweet retriever who's only doing so. what instinct tells it to do. No. Oh, God. Uh, and, and, and I find it, um, you know, I, I wonder what, I, so that's why um, forums like yours are so important because you're, I appreciate so much that you're willing to talk about issues, other issues. And I know, you, you know, it tends to run back to Trump. I understand that, but you're at least trying to make sure that we are aware of other issues. And that's, I think that's very, very important. Yeah. So I, well, Thank so, you. So I, I think you're doing a good public service. I, th- <laughs> I think that you'll help keep us educated. I, I think that it would, it would make a difference in November. So please don't. don't oh, I'm not. Oh, okay. don't worry. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you, Father. Bye. Bye bye. All right, you guys. That brings us a little past uh, our time. But let me check real fast to see if, because I don't have it on this site, but I sometimes get it if we have the horrible numbers. Or maybe they're not. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Let's see what we got today. The Allegheny County Health Department. Oy. We're back in triple digits. Oy. These are not good. Okay. Uh, new cases in the last 24 hours, 100. New hospitalizations, 12. New deaths, three. New cases range in age from eight months to 101 years. Jeez. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, it's too bad this comes out exactly when it does because I end up leaving you all. Well, not always because maybe things will start getting better but on a bit of a negative note <laughs> I'm sorry about that um, thank you uh, I, I intend to be here uh, throughout next week imagine that and um, I hope you have a good uh, three days off from me and we have no reports yet if the rats in uh, Bree's attic have um, have decamped uh, as a result of my voice, but I am eagerly awaiting um, the news. Okay? See you guys later. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.